0: Thank you so much, Pastor Gary. Awesome to be here. Also, awesome. come on, can we give Jesus some praise this morning? Come on, can we just spend just a few seconds just lifting up the name of Jesus? We exalt you, we glorify you, we come into your presence with thanksgiving. Father, we come before you this morning, we come to lift up your name. We come to worship you today and we pray that this morning through the words that I speak, through this word that you've prepared in my heart, Lord, that lives will be impacted and changed for your glory in Jesus' name, and everybody said together in unity, amen. amen, amen. Why don't you take your seats? Such a privilege to be here as a part of your journey. Yeah. This is a journey. Uh, Infuse point Revival. I don't even know what to call you um, yet. Let's go for the future. Let's speak into Revival City Church. That's what, uh, so I'm going to refer to you to that this morning. Is that okay? Because is, is right? that's, that's where we're going. All right? So I, I, I want to talk a little bit to you this morning about preparation. Oh, gosh, that's a terrible word. Everybody likes doing the fun stuff. They don't like preparing for it. They don't like to do I mean, I, I recently went on holidays. Um, I love a good holiday. I love traveling overseas, and it's good that we can do that again. But my wife will tell you that when we're getting closer to the holiday time, I am preparing. I will have the suitcases out Two weeks in advance, I will fill them with clothes. I will unfill them. I will change what I want to take. I will look at the shoes. I will shove socks in my shoes so that I can fit more stuff into my bag. I will prepare. I'll be thinking about it for weeks in advance. I will Google every single thing that needs to be Googled before we go so that I know exactly what what is coming up. I will prepare. Rachel is the complete opposite of me. She is the complete opposite. She will not do any of that. She will leave all the Googling to me so that she can be surprised and have an enjoyable vacation knowing that somebody else has taken care of all the details. I'm making reservations for dinner for three weeks in advance because I don't know if we're going to be able to get a booking. We want to go to this place, we want to go to that place. I'll be checking out every single detail. I'll be stressed about it. What if we can't get in? What if there's this? What if there's that? And I will prepare for it. But what are we preparing for? That's the big question that I want to ask you today. What are we preparing for? What are you, as Infused, soon to be Revival City Church, preparing for? What are you preparing for for your community? I'm going to read a passage of Scripture today. It's going to be the base of what I want to talk through. It's from the Book of Second Kings, Chapter Three. So if you have your Bibles. Or if your Bible is glowing, please turn to 2 Kings chapter 3. If you're writing notes, write this down, 2 Kings chapter 3 verses 15 to 18. If you're not taking notes, still write this down. It will help you, help you to remember. And it says here in verse 15, 2 Kings chapter 3, But bring me a musician. I love worship. I love getting into God's presence. I love being able to, you, do you know why we come to church? People would not think that we come to church to see what we can get and what God's going to speak to us and do that. But we primarily come to church to glorify God. As a community, as a body of believers, that's our role. We exist to worship God. But bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Now, everybody knows that the Holy Spirit doesn't move in any service unless a keyboard is playing. Some versions here say, bring me a harpist, bring me a harpist. And he said, thus said the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus said the Lord, who says thus anymore? I'm a little bit distracted. I'm a little bit like Pastor Dave, a bit ADD. I'll jump all over the shop and I'll say different things at different times. So, but things distract me when I'm reading the text, thus. Does anybody here use the word thus in their everyday language? No, we don't use it anymore. But this is the New King James, so it's the Bible. We'll read it. Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see the wind, nor shall you see the rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Father, we just commit this word to you. We pray that you would speak to the hearts of people for what we are preparing for as a community, what we are preparing for as individuals, as families, in our workplaces. What are we preparing for? I pray that you would speak to hearts this morning in Jesus' name. What are we preparing for? I remember, just like Naomi's story um, as she was sharing um, about God providing for her, I remember quite a number of years ago that. You know, Rachel and I were part of a, a, quite a large church, and it was the first opportunity that we really had um, to give into our miracle offering once a year offering that was going to take the, the ministry forward, that was going to provide for buildings and resources and missions. And we were going. Well, I really felt in my heart that you know, God was speaking to me to give a considerable considerable amount into this offering. You know, and I really okay, like, okay, I'm gonna talk to Rachel. We'll be united as a as a couple. We're gonna we're gonna sew into this, we're gonna we're gonna give a stretch offering. And and I told her what God had put in my heart to, to give, and she said, I think we need to double it. Wow. Right. Wives are often full of more faith than husbands. Yeah. Has anybody else got a wife like that? The Holy Spirit will often speak through a wife. And she challenged her. So we did, we stretched and we gave us a considerable amount and we took that offering and it was kind of like a you know I, I remember where I was I was kind of standing at the back of the the auditorium at the back and we were kind of writing it out on the envelope and I, in fear and trepidation I was like all right God we're going to trust you we're giving this offering and I didn't see automatically magically straight away boom wow there's an increase there's an awesome increase but you know what happened is that we got to the end of the next year, because this was just before the financial year. Toward the end of the next year, we were able to look back, and I had received pay increases to the exact amount of 10 times what we sowed in that offering. And I said to myself, why didn't I give more? Why did I not sow in more? Why did I not act as though I already knew what the outcome was going to be? If only I had gotten on Bitcoin when it first came out. Does anybody here have some Bitcoin they can lend me? If only I'd gotten on. But it's like that with our faith. You know what? We are only prepared to sow what we have prepared. We're only prepared to give as much as we have prepared. And we had only prepared to give that amount. But some people were able to prepare more. We need to act like we knew what the outcome was. We need to act like we know that our God is able to give back increase 30, 60, 100 fold. As it says in Matthew chapter 13, when we talk about the parable of the sower, our God is able to do that. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If God is for us, who can be against him? There is nothing that is too hard for our God. If only we acted that way. But we don't act that way. We often act like, oh, well, if I've got something left over, I'll give it to God. If I've got something left over, I'll I'll hand it over to Him. Now, this is not a, a giving message. I'm not talking about giving. I'm talking about faith. Do we believe that God can do the impossible or just the improbable? Do we believe that? I mean, we know. We've read through the stories of the Bible. We've read through all of the mighty miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, the striking the the stone and seeing the water poured out. We've seen the deliverance of God over and over again, but yet sometimes we don't actually think it can happen for us. And we come to God with this, well, maybe he will, maybe he won't kind of attitude. I want to talk to you a story about from 2 Kings chapter 3, and I want to set the context for that scripture I just read. We're living in a time of divided kingdoms. You've got Judah and you've got Israel. Now, the king of um, Joram, he's the new king of Israel, right? This guy, Joram. Everyone say Joram. 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 Now, this guy, he is the son of Ahab and Jezebel, probably the worst kings and rulers of Israel that ever were. These guys were the, the worst of the worst. They were the bad ones. Now, it says in the Bible that Joram was a bad king but he wasn't as bad as his parents. So there's a redeeming factor in there. So Joram is is this guy. He's the king of Israel. Now, Joram, as the king of Israel, they had what was called a treaty with Moab, the the nation of Moab, that Moab was under treaty to them because they had been defeated in battle and they owed them every year 100,000 sheep. I love a good lamb barbecue. I really do. It's tasty. Maybe even some suvlaki. Um, it's delicious with a bit of the yogurt, and oh, and now I'm hungry for lunch. It's good. Yeah. But he, the Moab, was they owed Israel 100,000 sheep every year. That was the payment for their treaty. Now, when Joram became king, the king of Moab said, well, you know what? I think Joram's not as bad as his parents, and we could probably just get away with this. We're not paying. We're not going to pay. So, Joram's now in a bind. He's like going, well, if they're not going to pay, I'm going to go to war. So, he calls up the king of Judah, who happens to be a good king called Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good king. Now, he's, um, he's the king of Judah. And it says in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 7, he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And he said, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. So this conversation happens. jorams he's getting on the FaceTime and he, he's got his new iPhone 14 out and he's like going, hey, these guys over here, they're rebelling against me. Do you want to come and we'll beat them up? And he says, well, let's go and do that. Let's go there. Let's, let, I'm, I'm going to come through. And then they decide. So Joram says to him, so right, well, we're going to go through Edom and I'm going to talk to my mate as the king of Edom and we're going to see if he'll come with us. So we'll pick him up on the way. So we've got three characters in this story. We've got Jehoshaphat, the good king. We've got Joram, the bad king. And for the sake of purposes of this story, we've got the king of Edom who's not mentioned by name, but let's call him the ugly king. So if any clean Eastwood fans, we've got the good, the bad, and the ugly who are coming on this journey. And they set out. And seven days into this journey, they run into trouble. And it says in verse 9, and when they had made a circuitous march, circuitous means that they'd been marching around in circles for seven days, That's kind of familiar for the nation of Israel, isn't it? They like to march around in circles, maybe for 40 years. But they made a circuitous march of seven days. There was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. And the valley that they expected to find the water, they went on this journey and they're like, well, God will provide, it'll all happen. And they get to this place and it's barren and it's dry and there's nothing there. And they are like, what is going to happen to us now? God has brought us out here to die. God has put us into this this desert. He has led us on this path, and and he's brought us out here to die. First thing I need to point out to you is that God never told him to go. Joram decided, I'm going to get mad, and I'm going to go out and try and fight my own battles. And I ended up in trouble. First thing that Joram does is that God brought us out here to die. He starts to blame God for the situation that he put himself in. But Jehoshaphat had a different response. He says this, In verse 11 and 12 of the message uh, message translation, it says, Jehoshaphat said, Isn't there a prophet of God anywhere around through whom we can consult God? One of the servants of the king of Israel said, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is around somewhere, the one who was Elijah's right-hand man. Jehoshaphat said, Good, a man we can trust. So the three of them, the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom went to meet him. And so you just got to picture this story. The servants are there. Well, you know, Elijah's gone now. We we can't find him anymore because he was sort of taken up to heaven in this blaze of chariot and fire, and he's gone now. We don't know who else to turn to, but maybe that kid. Maybe that snotty-nosed kid who used to carry his Bible and his water and his, his phone around and stuff and look after his gear. Maybe he knows something. Maybe, maybe something was imparted. Maybe this guy has been hanging around Elijah long enough that Elisha might actually know something. So these three kings are desperate. Now, this is, I, I try and pick out funny things from the text that maybe speak to me differently than most people would read it, but kings don't, don't go and visit people. They certainly don't go and visit people who are lower than them. They would send for someone. Send me a servant. Someone go and fetch Elisha and bring him to us. But no, they didn't say that. The three kings themselves went to see Elisha. They're desperate. They're like, hang on, we're in a bad situation here. We need to get the voice of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you know a few things about Elisha, but Elisha was a grumpy guy. He opens the door. They're knocking. Hey, we need to see you. We need to talk to you. And he opens up the door and he sees Joram standing there. And he's like, "Joram, son of Ahab and Jezebel, the guy, those guys who persecuted my master." Slam! I'm not talking to you guys at all. But Elisha was a grumpy guy. You gotta imagine what happened. He used to, t- you know, all the prophets were around, were like going, "Hey, your master's getting taken away today." And he tells them, "You know what? This is in the Bible. It's actually in the text." And it's the only time I can, ever, I can ever find it. But he tells people to shut up. So it's biblically acceptable to tell. No, that's no, young people. Listen to your parents. Do not use that kind of language. But he, he tells them that. The youth group, after going to the bounce for their end of year celebration, they all find Elisha walking along the road and they start calling him names. Go away, Baldy. We don't like you, Baldy. And you know what he does? He calls some bears out of the woods to come and beat him up. This is Elisha. Elisha's a grumpy guy. So I don't know whether that fits. Is it? If there's somebody grumpy near you today, do not look at them. Don't, don't, out, hu- wives, don't, don't squeeze your husband's hand. Right, don't do that. So they come back and they go, no, we need to see you. We are desperate. And he opens the door again and he goes, well, I'm not going to do it for you, Joram, but I will do it for Jehoshaphat, who's a good king. I'm going to do it for him. And he says this in verse 15, which we read before, but now bring me a musician. In, the, um, in some translations it says, in, in the New King James, in, or in one of the translations it says a harpist. I said that before. Now I picture, I'm a weird guy, I picture this. I, I picture a harp being rolled out, not just a little harp, you know, the, the little one that's got like, you know, that you see with the guy with the bow, and the Cupid with the arrows and the little harp, you know, the angel sitting on the cloud, not that small little harp. I imagine the big giant harp with the wheels on it and I imagine someone sort of dragging that out in the middle of the desert and then someone starts to, to sit and play. But this musician starts to play and the word of the Lord comes upon him. I've got to to, to do a little break here. When we need a miracle, when we need a breakthrough, when we need to hear God's voice, you've got to find yourself in His presence. And the best way to find yourself in God's presence is to start lifting up His name, to exalting His name, to worship and glorify Him. Now, I find for me, the best way to do that is to turn some worship music on and turn it up quite loud. It says, well, bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played the hand of the Lord came upon him and he said make this valley full of ditches because water's going to flood all the way through it and you're not going to see it happen but everybody's going to have sustainability. Now, Elisha just comes upon uh, the, the power of the Lord comes upon Elisha and Elisha says this is what God has told me that you need to do. And you got these three kings who are standing out there and they've just heard Elisha speak powerfully. This is clear direction from the word of the Lord. But if I'm a soldier in that army, I'm like, you have just made me march around for seven days in the hot, dry desert, and you want me to do what? You want me to dig a ditch? I've got a sword. I've got a bow. I've got a spear. I didn't bring a shovel. It's not part of my, this is not part of my repertoire. This is not what I do. I'm a fighting person. I don't dig ditches. That's beneath me. This is the last thing that they wanted. They went to Elisha and they're like, we want you to tell us how we can get the free water. We want you, we, you, want you to tell us how do we actually get, how to, like what Moses did back in the desert when the Israelites complained and he struck the rock and the water poured out. Can you, Elisha, Surely there's a rock around here somewhere. Can you just hit that? We're thirsty. We're hungry. We're tired. We're, we, we don't want to be digging ditches now. And I think this is probably what we experience a lot in our Christian life. We get to a point where we're hungry, where we're tired, where we're thirsty. We just don't know what's next. And then God says, I want you to do some work. Did you know that revival is spelt W-O-R-K? It is. And if we want to see it, We've actually got to do the work. We've got to put it in there. This is not fair. We've come all this way. Can't you just provide for me? God, can't you just do this for me? If you do this for me, I promise I'll serve you faithfully for all of my life. No, God provides a solution. God provides an answer. He provides an out. And he says, if you dig ditches, I'll bring the water. And we often go, well, can't you just bring the water and do the ditches? Like, God, this is easy for you. You've got big fingers. you just going to push it in the earth there. I mean, you, you, that would be easy. We could just sit back and receive the blessing of the Lord poured out upon us. Would it, it would be. We'll write stories about it. We'll write songs about it. We'll sing of your great love and your glory. But, no, this whole story reminds me of the faith of Noah. You know, this is, this is, this is how the conversation would have gone with Noah, with God. God comes to Noah and says, hey, Noah. Yes, God. I want you to build me an ark. Whoa, yeah, no, no problem, God. That's, that's fine. But can I just ask a couple of questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the question? What's an ark? Well, no, it's a boat. Right, cool, 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 cool. Um, God, yeah. What's a boat? Oh, never mind. I've got all the instructions here. I'm going to detail them out for you. It's made of gopher wood. It's got all, here's a cubit. You know, the cubits from there to there. Here's all the measurements. Go away and start building it. Okay. Because I'm going to build, I'm going to send rain. It's like, oh, oh, okay. Fantastic. Then God, one more, more. last question. What's rain? (laughs) Do you know Noah had never seen a boat? Noah had never seen rain, let alone a flood. And it takes great faith to believe God, not just for what you can't see, but what you have never seen. This church is stepping into an easy, a, a, a time and, and a move of God that you guys have not just can't see now, but you've never seen before. And I think it's going to take great faith to start to prepare for that. Second, back to, let's get back to Second Kings chapter 3. The next morning at about the time of the offering of the sacrifice, behold, water came from the direction of Edom till the country was filled with water. What would have happened in this story if the armies didn't obey the word of the Lord and dig ditches? If they didn't go through the whole valley and dig ditches, you know what? The water still would have flowed but it would have passed from one end of the valley through to the other end of the valley and nothing would have been captured. And they might have been able to get a little tiny bit, but there would have been nothing to sustain the army moving forward. So, God's always ready to pour it out, but we've got to do the work. When we're at our most desperate, our most vulnerable, exhausted, God says, dig a ditch. When there's nothing left, dig a ditch. When there's no hope, dig a ditch. When you're out of time, dig a ditch. When the mortgage is due, you've got to dig a ditch. When you want that girl to say yes to you, you've got to dig a ditch of faith. You've got to dive in, dig a ditch. And I've got to tell you that what you see in the natural doesn't always make sense, but it makes perfect sense in the supernatural. Yeah. Who would have thought that a, an army out in the middle of the desert, marching, ready to go off to war, we're going to get our 100,000 lambs back. Fantastic. Yes, we're going to have a feast. Wait, there's no water here. It's thirsty. We're, we're tired, we're drudging, walking along, and sick of this. It's boring. There's no good stuff on Netflix anymore. And we just, and they they start whinging and complaining, and then God says, now I want you to do this. Are we going to go, no, you do it? What's our attitude going to be towards God? And I think there's five things that we need to take note of this, out of this story as I start to build up to a conclusion. But five things. We have got to take personal responsibility. Like I said before, you know, Joram blamed God for his actions. Joram blamed God when he found himself in a situation that was his own doing. Did you realize this, and I've said this a number of times now, is that I have participated in every bad decision that I have ever made. I have participated. We've got to be responsible. But a lot of people go through their whole life blaming everybody else for everything that's happened to them. Oh, I'm here because of this or my pastor didn't give me an opportunity to preach but I didn't really study and go to Bible college because, you know, I kind of just felt like, you know. And I'm just going to blame him for, for me not actually taking action on my life. I'm going to blame everybody else for, for my situation. I'm going to hold on to grudges that last for 20 and 30 years that hold me back and restrict me. We end up blaming everybody else but we never actually blame the one person who's really responsible is ourselves. We've got to take personal responsibility. You know, we live in a society today that has no personal responsibility. There is no, no. no I'm, I'm a product of the culture that I'm a part of. I'm a product of society. You know, this, this systemic stuff that happened over there, that, that's, that's, the, that's the reason why I am the way that I am. And, and it's everybody else's fault. No, no, no. You've got to take responsibility for the way that you are. You've got to take responsibility for the situation that you find yourself in. Stop blaming somebody else. You know, we can't blame God for our problems when we did it. Joram, going off to war. God never told me to go off to war, but it's God's fault that this river is dry. It's not my fault. It's God's fault. You know what? Sometimes we even blame the devil a lot of times. We give him a lot of credit. We give him more credit than he's due. Oh, you know what? Slept in this morning. Then I went to start my car. Car wouldn't start because I forgot to fill it up with petrol. Man, I'm under spiritual oppression. I'm under attack. Couldn't get to church on time today because, well, you know, I didn't go to bed early enough last night. Oh, I'm a, just I'm so oppressed. But we do this. I hope nobody's getting too convicted this morning. <laughs> I don't apologize. It's fine. Second thing that we need to do is we need to find someone to speak over us. Who do you run to? When Joram had a problem, he ran to Jehoshaphat. He's got, I've got a problem, but these guys, I've got to run to Jehoshaphat. He's got to have to take and help me with this problem. But Jehoshaphat said, Well, where's a man of God? Where's someone who can speak over our circumstance? Who do you run to when you've got a problem? Are you running to the pastors? Are you running to the elders of the church? Are you running to someone, maybe it's a connect group leader, a small group leader, someone who's teaching you, training you, inputting into you? Or do you just run to the people who want to listen and gossip about your problem a little bit more and give you a pity party? No, you need someone who's going to give you an answer that's found in the Word of God. You need someone who's going to actually say, I'm going to, I'm going to seek God on your behalf. I'm going to find myself in a place of worship and I'm going to hear from God and I'm going to give it to you. Are we going to do that? Instead, who is your counsel? Proverbs chapter 24, verses 5 to 6, it says, It is better to be wise than strong. Intelligence outranks muscle any day. Strategic planning is the key to warfare. To win, you need a lot of good counsel. Have you got a man or a woman of God that you can turn to? Have you got someone that you can listen to? Someone who's going to tell you the truth or just what you want to hear? Oh, there, there it'll be okay, it's, it's fine, you know, it's no problem, you don't have to worry about that sin in your life, it's okay, God will just forgive you, he'll just keep forgiving you, or you're going to find someone who's going to say, hey, we need to deal with this, yeah. we need to go to repentance, yeah. we need to make a confession, yeah. we need to deal with the root cause of this, let's get this fixed up, yeah. are we going to listen to the truth or just the fluff that we want to hear? You know, what are the voices that you're listening? who I mean I mean, this is the greatest challenge for any church pastor nowadays. I've got, to, I've got to be really honest with you, is that pretty much everybody in the church can go to any church that they want in the whole world, whenever they want. And you know what? For most churches, most people will share content from other pastors than they will their own pastor. who What are you leaning into? Let's lean into the local church, the ones who are going to support you, love you, care for you, show up when you're in hospital, the ones who are going to come by when you've got relationship trouble, the one who's going to stand by you, the ones who are going to tell you the truth, not just what you want to hear. Third thing is, faith without works is dead. And thank you for that one person who clapped. That was good. Faith without works is dead. You know, God wants to pour out his blessing. He wants to pour out his provision. He is going to save the day. The water is going to flow through the valley. But are we prepared to do the W-O-R-K? And that is a four-letter word. And often in church, we think that's a four-letter word. That's That's tantamount to swearing. You want me to work? What? Get out of here. I came to church to receive from the Lord. No, if we want this place to grow, if we want to reach this community, then it's going to take sweat, blood, tears. It's going to take a lot of hard work. It's got to take people to serve. It's got to take people to be involved. You don't come to church to receive. You come to church to give. That's the truth of it. Not everything is just going to fall into our laps. You know, a lot of people treat God like the lotto. They think that, you know, well... If I just play my cards right. If I, if I pick the right numbers, it's just all going to fall out of the sky and into my lap. No, 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 no. God's blessing was always coming through that valley. But we've got to dig the ditch. We've got to get the sweat done. Sometimes you're ready to fight, but you've got to trade in your sword for a shovel." It says in James 2:26, "For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead." What are you believing for? What do you want? You know, we've got to take some action. God wants you to participate in the miracle. He wants you to stretch out a shriveled hand. He wants you to pick up your mat. He wants you to lower your friend through the ceiling. He wants you to go and wash yourself in the Jordan. But sometimes what God is asking of us to to do is beneath us. Why would I wash in the Jordan River? There's so many nicer rivers around. There's so many better places to go. I mean, this river over here is clean. I mean, I live on the Wimmera River, and it's beautiful, but it's brown. It doesn't look nice to swim in, does it? No, it's 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 you know it's, it's nice. I might go to a different river. I might go to something that I can actually see the bottom. I know there's not going to be mud and sludge on there. But no, we're called to go and wash ourselves in the Jordan. And go, well, this was the complaint of the centurion. He's like, well, I'm the captain. I'm like there's better rivers back where I'm from. I'm going to go back there. No, no, go and wash here. Sometimes what we do, we think that what God's calling us to is beneath us. You know, if we're believing God for financial breakthrough, how about start with a budget? Oh, my gosh. That's another swear word in church. Don't use that. Take control of your finances. Start to tithe. You know, the tithe belongs to the Lord. And I'll tell you what, you do not come second by putting God first. He calls for the 10%. When we sow in, when we tithe, when we actually give back to God what is rightfully His, He takes control of that 90%. And I tell you what, my experience has been that that 90% goes further than 100% without God's hand on it. But I told you this was not a giving word. Anyway, you know, if you want to get promotion, you've got to work hard. Build a good reputation for yourself at work. Promotions don't just come because you're You're there. No, you've got to show yourself above everybody else. Yeah. Christians should be the hardest workers at, the, at, at any factory. They should be in any workplace. They should be the, the most faithful, the most reliable. You know, if you want a wife, put on deodorant. <laughs> Get a job. You know, go to the gym. You've got to be a man of God. Be generous. You've got to start digging a ditch. The fourth thing is the deeper that we dig, the greater the blessing. The deeper we dig, the greater the blessing. God's only able to pour out into what we have space for. If our life is so full of everything else, then God's cousin, there's no more, no room for God to move. You know, I, I love. Um, I don't know if they have it in in South Australia, but over in, well, particularly in New South Wales, when we lived there, they had this thing called um, Slurpee Day, Seven Eleven Day. Um, they have Seven Eleven over here? It's mostly OTR. There's no Seven Elevens in Adelaide. In, fantastic we we've got otr in horsham but we don't have any 711s um which is a tragedy because the otr in, in victoria is not allowed to sell crispy cream donuts so we can't get them unless we actually come over here which is why we're actually really here this weekend <laughs> To come and get the dope. But 7-Eleven had this slurpy day. I hope you, I'm hope i going to just tell the story a little bit. You can actually take whatever size container that you want and pay just for a large, but you can take whatever size container and stand there under the slurpy machine, under the, the icy machine, whatever you guys call it over here, slushy, and you can turn it on and you can fill up your container. Now, some people will have the faith that goes, well, I'm just going to get the small container and I'll come over and I'm going to fill it up. And then some people bring the KFC bucket kind of level of faith, and they'll fill up the KFC bucket. And I saw photos of some guys dragging in a kiddie pool, one of those hard shell, those, you know those shell ones that fold over that you get at Bunnings, dragging in to try and fill it up with the slurpy stuff. What's the level of our faith when it comes to God? What size container are we going to bring? What are we going to use to dig our ditch? Are we going, well, I've got this little garden shovel here, the little, the little one that I use just for, for putting a few plants in I'm going to dig that out. I'm using a, a front-end loader. I'm going to get the backhoe out. I'm digging a ditch so deep that when God comes through and fills it and pours it with water that there's enough left there for me to sustain and actually invite everybody else into what I've got. This is what we need to do. What, how deep is your ditch? Did you know that God's provision and his power is unlimited? Luke six thirty eight says, Give. And it will be given you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put back into your lap. For the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The size of our miracle is determined by the size of our preparation. If we're committed to give, how much work we're prepared to do. How deep would your ditch be if you knew there was an unlimited supply? Oh, I just need enough for me. What about enough for the whole community? What about enough for everybody else? I don't know. I know there's people over here, who they're not digging. But, oh, i just going to look after me and mine, me and my four, no more. No, we want, to, we, want to, we want to impact the community. You know that the Bible teaches that when the righteous prosper, the city is exalted. When the righteous prosper, the city is exalted. So why would we not have that kind of faith to go, well, God, we want to prosper. We want to know what your word says. And the fifth and final thing is that worship sets the platform for the word. Worship sets the platform for the word. You know, there was a, a, I don't I've never heard that second last song that we sang today. What was that, that song? Where we're just confessing the things about God. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. We need, to, we need to get into God's presence. Worship sets the platform for the word. Worship precedes the breakthrough. If you want to hear from God, put yourself in that environment. Elisha knew that, and he called for a minstrel. He called for the keyboard player who was anointed, anointed of God to play and bring the presence of God. Worship creates a sensitivity to His presence. We need to find ourselves in that. God inhabits the praises of His people. I'm thinking about a couple of things here that, that remind me of this from Scripture. Jericho. When the armies are walking around Jericho, who's in front? The worship team, the musicians, the trumpet players. Who's Who's leading the charge? They are. Worship precedes the breakthrough. Worship calms. You know, when Saul was tormented by an evil spirit, the only thing that would calm him down was worship. David played the harp. David brought the presence of God. And it calmed him down. If you've got issues when you struggle with, with mental health, get into a worship environment. Worship brings the breakthrough. It says this in, in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened if you are in bondage today, if you find yourself in prison, if you find yourself in chains and you can't release them, you know what's going to break through? Singing praises to God is going to start the journey of you going out of those bonds and breaking those chains and setting you free. How deep is your ditch? How deep is your ditch, Revival City Church? What are you believing for? What are you believing that God can do? Because this thing is just going to be the same. Or no. Is God going to take this over? And are you guys going to have not enough space to be able to fill? Let's prepare. Let's prepare for more. What ditches do we need to dig? We've got to dig a ditch of worship. We've got to dig a ditch of prayer. We've got to dig a ditch of knowing Jesus more. Getting into it. We've got to dig a ditch of faith. We've got to dig a ditch. and, And I hate this. Is another another bad swear word in church. We've got to dig a ditch of theology. Yeah. We've got to actually go, well, you know what? It's not just good enough for me to stand up here, it's for me to come to church and, and listen and hear the pastor say something and then go, well, pastor said it must be true. Oh, sorry. That's scary. Sorry. We've actually got to go, I've got to work out my salvation in fear and trembling. I've got to take a stand. I've got to be, respo- I've got to be responsible for what I believe. Oh, it's no good getting up to the pearly gates and then getting... Oh, pastor said this though. This is fine. Don't blame Pastor Gary. Don't blame Pastor Dave. You've got, to, you've got to be responsible for your own salvation. You've got to work it through. You've got to understand. Do a course. Study something. We've got to dig a ditch of sacrifice with our finance. If you want this thing to grow, if you want to see this place explode with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, remember what I said before. Revival is spelled W-O-R-K. Come on, why don't we stand to our feet? I don't know everybody who's here in this room today. You might have all been coming to church here for a long time. You might all have a personal relationship with Jesus, but I can't finish this message by sharing with you the best way to start. The best way to start digging a ditch of faith in your life is to start a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ sent from the Father, came to, from heaven to earth to die on a cross, to pay the price for the sins that we could never pay for. He actually he, he, he paid that, that price that we could, we could never atone for, we could never step into, and He filled that space. He filled that space that we couldn't fill so that now we can live in freedom because on the third day he rose again from that. He conquered death. He holds the keys. This is what I believe about Jesus, that Jesus laid down his life willingly for us so that we can be restored to God again. You know, it says that when Jesus took his last breath, that... There was an earthquake and then in the temple there was this giant curtain in the temple that separated man from God's holy presence. And when Jesus took that last breath the earthquake happened and that I'm telling you this curtain this curtain was about the size of a couple of phone books it was about 13 inches thick and it was torn from top to bottom. When Jesus took his last breath, when he died on that cross, it enabled us to be able to enter boldly into his presence, not being separated from God's throne room. We're able to come boldly into his presence. And I just want to ask today, if we can all bow our heads and close our eyes, is there anybody here today that goes, Pastor Andrew, while you've been preaching, God's been speaking to my heart. I need to start a journey of faith. I need to start a journey of following Jesus. Is there anybody here who would respond to that? Just lift your hand. I'll see you. You can put it down. Or maybe once you said, "Ah, I've done that before. I've prayed that prayer, but if I'm really honest, I haven't gone on with God. I haven't followed Him faithfully. I've just been sort of coming to church for what I can get out of it. And if that's you today, why don't you just lift your hand, and I want to pray with you today. Awesome awesome all right well we're as a church family going to pray this prayer regardless say why don't you say this with me dear lord jesus today i'm coming back to you i give my life to you and giving complete control i acknowledge that you died in my place and that on the third day you rose again so i can have victory And I thank you, Father, that you loved me so much that you sent Jesus. And today, I turn to you. I follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen.